What they're doing right now is precisely what Reverend Fleming Rutledge describes as a procession of fools. I have a footnote here if you don't believe me. Fleming Rutledge is calling our children and us fools in her book, The Undoing of Death. Here's what she wrote. There was a time when whole towns in Europe would turn out for Palm Sunday processions, and everybody knew about it. If someone were to walk through that door right now, there's a chance that that person would have no clue what we were just doing, waving our palms in the air like we just don't care or they themselves might not particularly care. What can I say? I like big palms and I cannot lie. <laughs> I've been waiting all week to do that. <laughs> so in her book, Undoing Death, Fleming Rutledge uh, recalls a conversation, a hypothetical conversation between a father and his children. I've updated it a bit because the book was written in the early 2000s not in North Arlington, and so so you all will better understand what's happening in this story. I thought this would help. Kids. Dad, what are those people doing? Dad, who grew up in the United Methodist Church, but has since left the church, not because he lost his faith in Jesus, but because he lost faith in the church that continues to have denominational infighting. I think it's Palm Sunday. They're waving tree branches or something. It could be a protest. I'll check Facebook or next door. Did you guys pack your stuff for spring break? Kids. Why? Dad. Why what? I'm not sure. Text, text your mother or something. Kids. Can we just go to South Block already? <laughs> Waving palm branches on Palm Sunday has always left me feeling a bit foolish. Upstairs, Pre-pandemic, we would do a Palm Sunday procession, and it was perhaps one of my least favorite things to do throughout the entire year. As a kid, I always looked forward to Palm Sunday, though. I looked forward to it because I received what I believed to be a divinely blessed device for terrorizing my siblings. (laughs) But as an adult, it's just not my cup of tea. And like Ted Lasso, I really dislike tea. I've always felt like something's missing, as if there's more to what's happening on Palm Sunday. Any attempt to reenact Palm Sunday is a fool's errand. It is a fool's procession, because as St. Matthew puts it, on Palm Sunday, the whole city of Jerusalem shook. The crowd entering the city was not limited to Jesus and his disciples, Jesus riding a borrowed burrow is not the only person entering the city for the Passover festival. There would have been 200,000 plus pilgrims making their way to Jerusalem. This was a festival to remember. The first Passover, when God kept the promises that God made to Israel, delivering them from their bondage as Moses prepared to lead them through the Red Sea. So we have Jesus entering Jerusalem with his followers and other pilgrims for a holy festival. But the whole earth also shook as Pilate, the Pilate that we all remember from Good Friday, the Roman governor, enters the city as well, leaving his posh amenities of his seaside home, entering the city to ensure that the 200,000 pilgrims wouldn't get any ideas about 
insurrection or uprising. Historians believe that Pilate would have entered the city with at least 1,000 Roman soldiers with him. So we have three groups of people all converging on one city. One group most likely arrived on foot, another on foot following a man riding a borrowed donkey, and the last group following a man riding on a battle horse. Now, at this point in the sermon, it would be easy for me to say that we have a choice. We can either follow Pilate or follow Jesus, that we have two options, and more often than not, we want to think that we're going to follow Jesus. But life tells us that we often will choose the way of Pilate. I would then sprinkle a little bit of good news, you're forgiven of your sins, grace, say amen, we'll wrap it up, the band will start playing, and we're off to brunch. We'll kick off spring break, knowing that we most likely won't see one another until next Sunday on Easter. But as Fleming reminds us, there is no passage from Palm Sunday to Easter without Good Friday. Because of the busyness of life, there is so much of this story that we, all of us, will miss this week. The day after Jesus enters Jerusalem on the back of a borrowed burrow, he goes to the temple. This was the hub of Jewish religious life, and religious life back then was your regular life. So Jesus enters the temple alongside other pilgrims. And then he has a temple tantrum, and he drives out all of those who were selling sacrifices to pilgrims at an inflated rate in the money changers. And he shouts, this is my father's house, but you are making it into a den of robbers. There's so much more to this story. On Tuesday, Jesus will continue his Jerusalem stop of his teaching tour, drawing even more attention away from the religious leaders. And then they're going to try to trap him in his own words, going so far as to demand to know who gave him the authority to say the things that he was saying. And still, there's so much more that we're going to miss in this story. On Wednesday, Jesus will leave Jerusalem and return to the Mount of Olives, the place where our Palm Sunday procession began. And there he's going to teach his disciples about God's cosmic plan for new creation which Fleming Rutledge describes as the turning point of universal history, not just human history, the history of the cosmos. He's going to offer a few parables that no one understands. He's going to say a sermon, and then the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are going to try to trap him again, asking Jesus, which of the commandments is the greatest? And Jesus is going to say to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all of your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the laws and the prophets. And still, there's more to this story. On Thursday evening, Jesus is going to gather with his disciples in a nondescript upper room to observe the Passover. He's going to recall how God led Israel through the Red Sea to the land that God had promised to these people. And then during the meal, he's going to take bread, he's going to give thanks to God, and he's going to break the bread, he's going to give it to his disciples and say, this is my body, broken for you and the whole world. And then later in the supper, he's going to take a cup of wine, 
He's going to give thanks to God. He's going to give it to his disciples and say, this is my blood poured out for you and for the world. Do this in remembrance of me. And then later that night, Jesus is going to be arrested because the one he said would betray him, Judas, is going to do just that. There's so much to this story that we're going to miss this week. After he's arrested on Friday, there is a sham of a trial. And then given the choice by Pilate between freeing Jesus of Nazareth or a murderous zealot named Barabbas, the crowd, many of whom were shouting Hosanna on Palm Sunday as Jesus entered into the city, they're going to shout Barabbas. And then Jesus is beaten. He's going to be forced to carry his own cross. And along the route to a place called the Skull, and after he's nailed to the cross, Jesus is mocked. You would destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts God. Let God deliver him now. If he wants to, for he said, I am God's son. And then on Friday, Jesus is going to die, hanging between two, hanging between two men, two thieves on their own crosses. And he will promise one of them, because of the man's faith, he will be with Jesus in paradise. In our fool's procession, what we miss is the entire story. Because in each stop between the Mount of Olives, Palm Sunday, and the skull, the cross on Good Friday, Jesus is gathering all of humanity into him. The best and the absolute worst we have to offer. And the best of news is that there is no prayer or ritual that must be spoken first on our part for this to happen. If last Sunday... Mary's anointing of Jesus with the Chanel number five in her hair on his feet. Such a weird story. If that was the prelude to Holy Week, then Palm Sunday is act one in a larger story. A story that all of us, whether we wanted to or not, whether we realize it or not, a story that all of us have been gathered into. Fleming said it best, the testimony of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the testimony of the Christian church, that's us, is that in this event, between Palm Sunday and Good Friday, in this God-forsaken death, is that the cosmic scale has been conclusively tipped in the opposite direction so that sin and evil and death are not the last word. And they never will be, ever again. And that's because there's so much more to this story. After Jesus dies, he's going to be placed in a tomb, borrowed, just like his burrow. And after three days, God is going to give him back to us. First discovered by the one who came to finish the anointing that she began in Lazarus' dining room. But that's a story for another day. Amen. <laughs>